This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online slash podcast. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. And with us today, we have Bruce Clark, who's the CEO and founder of New Clients, Inc. And today we're going to be discussing uh, M&A strategies, ways that you can build your firm, look for a good exit, things that not only are you know in the small picture while you're in it, but the big picture for if you're looking for a way out. And he's not only though, and we'll, we'll let him uh, talk about it more, but not only in this space, but also a fifth degree black belt. I, I gave up at my white belt. So I think, I think he probably knows a bit more about, <laughs> about the martial arts world than, than uh, seven-year-old Andrew does. But uh, Bruce, how about giving a little uh, background on yourself? Thank you. Andrew, appreciate you uh, inviting me on. Um, yeah, uh, started New Clients Incorporated uh, 33 years ago. Uh, prior to that, um, I entered the accounting field working with my father's accounting practice in the early 1970s. I actually came in from a sales and marketing standpoint uh, as an accountant, so to speak. Um, Something uh, many in your audience are uh, probably not aware of, but prior to 1979, the United States, if you were CPA, uh, you weren't allowed to market the services. There were actually rules against that. Uh, well, my dad wasn't certified. He was known as a licensed public accountant at that time. So consequently, we weren't governed by the same rules that were affecting everyone else who was in the accounting space. So we were marketing long before anyone else was doing it. Um, in 1979, they changed the rules. There was a CPA actually in Florida that uh, challenged the State Board of Accountancy because they caught him soliciting businesses. And he took it all the way to the Supreme Court and he won. And that opened up marketing for the entire country for the CPA and accounting profession. It's a little known fact that many people aren't aware of. So once that happened, uh, I had another kind of a history, if you will. We were competing in the local market in southern New Jersey where my father's accounting firm was located at that time. And we noticed that there was little, if any, competition, even though now other CPAs were allowed to market. And when we're talking about marketing, we're talking about small business markets. Uh, a business is anywhere from a startup to firms doing, let's say, up to $5 million a year in sales, was the target market that we were going after for selling accounting services. And it dawned on me one day why, even though they were now allowed to market, they didn't know how. Nobody had ever trained them on how to do this. So it was from that one idea that I decided to put together a training program that would teach these individuals how to go out and sell their services, how to find leads, how to give an effective sales presentation, using closing techniques that were effective but not pushy. You know, we don't want to look like a, a used car salesman, we're selling professional services, right? So um, that's how it all started. 
a number of years later, I, I built and sold my own accounting firm, and I started to gather experience in selling practice, having sold mine. And uh, as we were building practices all over the United States, a lot of my clients were coming back to me, sometimes in the middle of two or three years, cash in on a good investment and put their practice on the market. So we started to sell practices right around that same time as well. And we've been doing that ever since. So when you were going through the marketing aspect, and this is something we see a lot on the tech side too, where you have the technicians, accountants, yeah, in the same in the same world, the the professional services world, where they are really under the impressions has sort of been you know, what's been drilled into us ever since you know grade school of be really good at your job and you will you know just have clients flocking to you because they will know that you're the best and people want the best of the best. But if you don't market your services effectively, or you do what I see a lot of people doing, throwing a lot of money at this amorphous, oh, well, you know, it's X dollars for branding and getting your name out there. It's part of the big picture, but the marketing aspect is one of the most important pieces of generating business that I think a lot of people you know, they'll, they'll pay. And I mean, I, I was in this boat for a long time, you know, paying very, very high uh, salaries, uh, high fee consultants. And it was just, you know, here, here, do this for me, do this for me and got little to no results. And we couldn't crack the code until we did. And it was, you know, a lot of years in the making, glad to be on the other side. But what were some of the, the pieces that or mistakes that you were seeing other accountants making other than just literally not doing it at all, even though now they're allowed to. So we see that a lot now. People don't market. Oh, word of mouth is it's everything. It's, it should be a piece of the puzzle. But what, what are some of the mistakes that you were seeing in the uh, marketing world, or at least now, and probably they existed back then too? Well, look, it certainly advanced since when I first started. Well, I, it was funny. I used to contact uh, CPAs and talk to them about their services, and they would get indignant. They said, you're not allowed to do this. And I said, you need to read up on the changes in the law. You are allowed to do this now, and if you want to grow a business, then you, you really need to be doing it. Um, and over a period of time, of course, people started understanding that it all changed. As far as the mistakes, the first one is, yeah, they're, they're, look, we tend to gravitate towards what we're good at and ignore what we're not good at. I mean, it's, you know, it's human nature. And as a general rule, uh, accountants are not good marketers. I mean, if they, they were great salespeople, they would be working in sales. They'd be working for IBM or, or Google or you know some other marketing department or firm selling the services in some manner. Um, but they're not. Now they're not all like that. I've had some share of excuse me, some accountants that we trained in our seminars that ended up being great salespeople. In fact. It was so good at selling that they decided to delegate the other aspects of running the business to people who like that part, i.e. doing tax returns, managing people, et cetera. And they took over the sales function and built very large successful accounts as a result. But that's a rare individual. It's usually the other way around. So the first mistake is they're not good at it, so they don't do it. Okay. Second mistake is 
they they uh, are afraid to try things, you know, and it's well if you don't try, there's the saying in Star Wars, there's no try to only do, right? So it's a, it's a learned skill. And what I found that as they learn the skill, they become more comfortable with it. I mean, imagine for a minute trying to do a tax return and not having training in how to do that. Well, it's no different with sales. You know, it is a process. And if you follow the process, we teach what's called the anatomy of a sale. Where do you start? What do you, you know, what do you say when you're talking to this person? What are the types of questions that you have to ask to gather information? So that you can present back to them solutions to the problems. Well, first you have to un- uncover the problem. So we go through that whole process. You know, so the anatomy of the cell is one part of the seminar that we just teach. Um, now we have it all screened live. We don't do live seminars anymore as a result of COVID and other reasons, but uh, all the material is available online. And do you have any, maybe one or two? Uh, case studies that stand out. You had mentioned people that discover that they are actually good at marketing and sales. And it's, it's funny, that exact thing is, it was my experience too. Of I'm a tech guy, computer guy, doing computers, computers, computers. And then we started growing and then it was like, okay, I can't do computers and sales and marketing and HR and exactly. you know all these things. When you've got you know, a handful of clients, sure, wear all the hats. It doesn't matter. You know everybody backwards and forwards in all their situations anyway. But you start growing and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, my job now is making sure everyone else has a job. And that's the role that that I've personally taken on and you know, a lot of transformation over these years. But what are what are some of the um some one or two maybe big ones that that you really, you know, saw that transformation in? Well, I'm thinking of uh, one of the first people that ever t- attended my seminar uh, way back in 1989. CPA, um, interesting enough, on Florida, which is where I now um, And uh, very diminutive guy, very quiet, you know, like quiet as a, a typical accountant, okay? Um, very friendly, you know, nice guy, but I don't think he said a word the entire three or four days in the seminar. And at that time, there was maybe 10 people in the entire group. And he went on to build a multi-million dollar firm. Once he got comfortable with the process, which is the point I was making, he realized that he actually liked it. He enjoyed going out there and telling people about his services. And he ended up being one of my best references for many years. In fact, five years ago, I ended up selling his practice for because he said, you're the guy that helped me get here. So who else would I talk to or go to when it comes time for me to move into the next phase of my life? So that's just one example of many. And he ended up building a multi-million dollar firm. And he became the marketing one. He hired bookkeepers. Because remember, we're targeting small businesses. You really don't need to be a CPA to handle the work for many of these clients. We would also teach as a part of the seminars the delegation of non-technical work. So that you can focus on the more important things, such as tax returns, additional billings, things of that sort, higher insight billing projects, putting together SBA loan packets, the things that you're really good at, and delegate the other aspects. Another component of the program was that some accountants, in fact, I would go as far as to say most of them, 
no matter the training and the support that we applied, they still weren't comfortable in the States. So for those individuals, we offered a step up in the program whereby we would take the marketing out of their hands and we would actually hire and train a salesperson on their market, wherever that was in the country, teach them a cursory understanding of small businesses. They had to know what a Schedule C is, you know, 1065. They would never have to fill these forms out. Obviously, they can't. They're not accountants. But they knew how to talk about them. You know, when's a 1065? Who's required to file a pilot? And then we would, they would take over the marketing with the accountant. They would actually go meet with the clients, give a presentation, and sign the client up. It allows the accountant to focus on what he does best. He has a salesperson he's out there bringing in the business. And as a part of that program, he would also hire and train at the time. The main lead generation process was telemarketing. I know immediately some people go, oh my God, he's telemarketing? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, the way that, the best way is to communicate with people is to talk to them. Now that's changed a lot in the last eight years, okay, with the uh, increased internet marketing. But having said that, I still have accounts. We did programs for 25 years ago that are still using telemarketers to get leads to this day. Okay, so it still works. It doesn't work as well as it once did, but it still works. And of course, you have to add into that mix today the internet, the internet aspect, which we also I don't recall exactly where it was. I want to say it was the book Fanatical Prospecting, and the name escapes me. Jeb, I believe his first name was, but that was kind of the the premise of the book was keeping your pipeline filled. And, you know, if telemarketing is one of the methods that you use, and I mean, frankly, that's what our company had done for many, many years. There was an MA strategy involved with it, but so wouldn't necessarily call them cold calls, but you know, not straight from a phone book, but not people that were exactly familiar with us. But anyway, so to your point though, it is something that works, but I think a lot of people fear that rejection aspect of it. Uh, how dare you call me, blah, blah, blah. But you know, ignore the upside of, I just landed client for X dollars with this, you know, these terms or at least getting people aware of your existence. And I think kind of what I've seen, at least in the transformation of digital marketing and things like that is a lot of people, especially introverted people, you know, technical skill workers, they like the idea of this is all done for me. It's all done online. blah, blah, blah. You know, people are just going to flock to me and I don't have to talk to them. I'd rather close a deal via email than, you know, have a face-to-face or have a phone call or any of this. And I mean, those, those methods do work. It's, it's been my experience though, after dropping a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money on, well, this, this guru expert, says getting a lot of likes on my posts is the key to making sales. And it's like, can I pay you in likes on my posts? Because you seem to want dollars as a currency, (laughs) but you're telling me that, you know, oh, look at all the impressions you got on this. You're really building your brand. And uh, there's a time and place for that. But it's like, can I pay you in impressions 
and just skip the dollars because that's you know what these people are saying and it's it's interesting though once once i took a step back and was like i'm spending all this money and not getting a return which is literally kind of the point of business right you spend or the point of marketing spend x dollars and then your return is x you know whatever that number is x must be greater than whatever multiple you need we we shoot for 5 but it's it's funny like kind of the dream is sold of oh yeah you know just put this post it's relevant content your audience will love it and and being on the other side it's like well i mean i don't i don't disagree with that but i the the roi aspect i think is a lot of the the part that um a lot of people don't necessarily look at it and they're like, well, I'm marketing, I'm getting my name out there. Hopefully someone comes in, you know, digital marketing, maybe someone will find me online and use my contact form. And I don't have to do these awkward sales where I might deal with rejection. You know, it's much easier to get a rejection over an email than it is face-to-face or a phone call. And then, you know, the downward spiral, and we see so so much in sales, like the first call they make, they get a sale that day will be a gigantic day. It's half days over and they don't have one. You might as well go home. You won't get anything. Well, I mean, everyone's remote, so they are home. But <laughs> but so uh, one of the things that, that I did want to hit on, so as a fifth degree black belt, how does that transcend into not only your day-to-day life, but how's that work in your professional career as well? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and uh, I used to uh, get that at uh, our live seminars quite a bit because I would talk about my martial arts background, and it's transcended in every area. Karate is not easy. Let's start there. Okay, very difficult to maintain the discipline that's required to reach the level of expertise that I have in karate, martial arts, and other things. The martial arts, in particular, Tong Sudo, which is the Korean martial art that I train in, it's all about perfection. You know, perfecting a front kick, perfecting a side kick, perfecting a form, which are a combination of techniques uh, against multiple imaginary attackers. We do over and over. Oh, I, I would assume that I've probably done 5,000 front kicks in my career. I'd like to think I've gotten pretty good at it. So, but it's the discipline that requires to stay with something like that for so long, it transcends into every area, at least it has in my life. I want to be the best at whatever it is that I do. It's just ingrained in me as a result of this very difficult training that I've had to undergo, not that I have had, that I've chosen to undergo for the past 33 years of my life. Um, it almost be, it becomes a way of life. Eating better, sleeping, you know, making sure you get the right sleep, drinking water, all the health benefits come along with it. That at the age of 69 and a half, well, yesterday I knocked off 70 push ups. So that was part of my one hour training. Again, I'm not trying to brag, I'm just trying to show that what it can create. At the age of 39, when I really got serious about training in karate, I was a two-pack-a-day cigarette smoker, and I drank excessively. Had a lot of bad habits. It helped turn my entire life. Um, my two sons both became black belts. My wife was involved for many, many years. 
became a family event that we did. Um, it instilled that same discipline in my two sons, one who, both who are now very successful, one who helped me sell accounting firm here at NCI, and the other who has a digital marketing firm that, crazily enough, deals with accounts. <laughs> so that apple didn't drop far from the tree. Uh, the name of his firm is Dream Firms. And he and his wife, Maureen, run that company. And their entire focus is the digital space, you know, which is not my wheelhouse, right? I mean, I didn't grow up with a computer and a, and a phone and a laptop, right? Or an iPad, you know, on my desk. So, uh, but he did. Um, and uh, they're very, very, very good at what they do. And they actually work with a lot of MCI clients, helping them with the digital component and other apps. You know, and it's funny. It's funny you say that, Tyler. Right? Yes. He he. We have uh, something queued up with him. I never made the, the connection of oh, really? of the uh, uh, the last days. Yeah, nice yeah. Stuff. I've been, been talking with him for a while. So you guys definitely know your your stuff. I can attest that that Tyler is a very uh, very smart human being when it comes <laughs> to uh, digital marketing with accountants. But w- one of the the pieces. You know, it's it's kind of crazy to think a lot of people kind of compartmentalize or don't think that these these disciplines and things that they do transcend all the other aspects of their lives. You know, you you had mentioned you, you know, being cigarette smoker, drinker, you know, and then you pick up this new thing, which I mean, it's it's frankly, you know, not many accountants are saying, oh, you know what you should do. To help grow your firm and grow your business, you should take up karate. Become a you know? black belt. Like it's a, yeah, yeah. Become a black belt because that is going to transcend into into everything you do. And I mean, I you know, speaking on my own, being at nine years in a twelve step program and seeing exactly what you're talking about, where the discipline of one aspect it falls into everything you do. So, you know, it's very, very rare, I'd say, that you see people that are extremely disciplined in one aspect of their life and then have complete disregard for other things that are important to them. So it's it's interesting to see how these things, you know, kind of all come together. So you have discipline in your personal life and that goes into your business life where you're very disciplined and sometimes doing things that maybe you're not, you know, the most comfortable with doing and, you know, training for an hour without having the, someone else is riding you and needing to, you know, whatever the case is, having that discipline to do it yourself, that will work in your daily life where, you know, there may be things that you don't want to do, or maybe don't feel like doing. And I know for myself, and I mean, far from perfect, you know, we were talking before the show about uh, some difficult things that I'd personally been going through um, and, you know, pulling the trigger and having these difficult things. It's, it's all part of kind of that holistic approach and not necessarily just, well, I do really good here. And then the rest of my day, you know, just completely crazy you see with you know obesity and sort of and i mean i know this is a general topic but you know, people that have struggles with 
you know, one aspect, it does look like it's, it's kind of a personality, big thing. So anything in particular where you can, you can think of where it was like, you know, this discipline at any time where it kind of clicked for you that, oh, hey, I did this as a result of that. Were there any sort of aha moments that you can think of? Well, probably a lot. You know, I was famous for saying that if it was easy, everybody would know it. I'm talking about building a business and not, not the martial arts. Um, and, uh, and we talked about that quite a bit at the seminar. Everybody's not doing it, but the people in that room were there and they were learning and they were doing it. And as a result, most of them would go back and enjoy great success. I mean, I've worked with over 4,000 firms across the country. And, uh, you know, we have a great reputation. We've always tried to be the best equipped for our clients. We didn't always succeed, but it was pretty rare where we fell short. As far as in my own life, uh, you know, when I first started uh, my first marketing firm, uh, I had an accounting practice going at the same time. I had left my father. Um, I had come to the conclusion I wasn't being paid enough and, uh, you know, decided to go start my own practice. I went right down the street. In like that, <laughs> opened a, a firm we called it Tax Advice, and started to build that accounting firm. Uh, long story short, I had a, a gentleman join me as a partner. Uh, we were building that up for about um, three or four years, and he and I had fallen out. Ended up in a very nasty lawsuit where I basically had to start over again, and basically with nothing. Okay, um, I didn't have any uh, clients. Uh, I had gone through a uh, very nasty uh, legal proceedings. So, you know, the disciplines and everything that I was learning at that time helped carry me through that. And that's when I formed New Clients and Paper. It was actually January of 1995. And I'll never forget, um, right before that occurred, I had signed up to go to a seminar. I'm sure you probably heard of Tony Robbins, um, one of the, the greatest sales coaches, uh, professional coaches, if you will world, my humble opinion, uh, and I had just learned about him and I had signed up to go to a seminar that was called Mastering Persuasion Techniques, and uh, going through this difficult time, here I find myself now on a very cold day in February, I was living in New Jersey at the time, driving over to the Wells Fargo Center to watch Tony Robbins, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm starting over, you know, and I'll tell you what, it was one another, it was another one of those life-changing events for me. I learned so much at that seminar that day that I still use to this day, what, 30 some years later. Um, and we took a lot of that material and, and brought it right into our seminars and started to teach people, look, there are other speakers and coaches out there like Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn, Dennis Whitley, some of the greats back at that time, Zig Ziglar, okay? I'm sad we no longer with them. Um, you can learn from these people about sales, about perseverance, about goal setting. It was another thing that we were big believers in. And, and I am to this day. In fact, I was just working on my goals the other day, sitting right here on my desk. Every year in the beginning of the year, I write out my goals for the entire year. I look back at the previous year. What did I reach? Where did I fall short? What do I need to do in the coming year to make up for whatever those differences are? Um, so that was one moment in my life, and it was a transcending one because I was able to make changes in the new company that my partner and I were at disagreement over. And it made all the difference in the world. And it really created 
what became your clients. It's funny you mentioned that. I I was at a um a Tony Robbins event. It is actually funny. My father-in-law had gotten me uh, or us rather tickets to see, and it was a bunch of it was like the guy from duck dynasty and a a couple other like, Oh, you know, this will be fun. And they ended up canceling the event and we show up to the center and it's empty. And we're like, you know what, what's going on? They're like, Oh, you, you got an email. It was canceled. And we're really sorry. You know, you, you had the diamond package. And so they're, they're replacing it. And, um, you know, it's going to be different speakers. It's going to be Gary Vaynerchuk. You're going to have like a meet and greet with him and a meet and greet with Tony Robbins instead. So, I mean, it's, it's not going to be, you know, their normal price. It's going to be the one that you paid for. We're so sorry. And it was like, okay, I think I can, um, you know, think I can swing this, uh, you know, this change. And, and I can tell you, I, I was, I was extremely tired on that day. It was, you know, we woke up super, super early and Tony is about to come on at four. And I was, I was honestly thinking I'm, I'm not going to stay through this you know, it's, it's on my bucket list to see him, but this is going to just be, this is going to drag on, you know, just like all the other speakers. And he comes out and he's like, I usually go for 72 hours, but is it all right with you if I go for four? And I thought he was joking. Right. And you know, 7,000 people in the audience or whatever. And they're like, yeah. yeah." And I tell you, that is something I remember when I got home five hours later, yeah. What? And I just, I woke up my wife. I'm like, my life has changed. Everything is different. Everything I thought I knew, <laughs> you know, white is rainbow. Like everything is so different. It's crazy how he has that impact and, and how he can do it at massive, massive scale yeah. with people that, you know, people in suit and ties. And he's got this whole place like jumping and, you know, like yelling at the people next to them and yeah. just the like energy and excitement. Level, right? I mean, uh, right, the right. Levels that he brought and still bring, you know, I mean, I still, still am an ardent fan, right? And I've purchased a number of his training programs for years. Um, he's just an amazing guy. And he's another one, you know, he's karate uh, as part of his life for a long period of time. I don't know if it still is. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, Another, it's a pivotal moment in my life and in, in my children's life. Um, of course, you know, years later, I brought my son, Christopher and Tyler, to see him live. And he can have a big impact. You know, if you want him to, I mean, look, you know, some people leave his seminar. It was kind of like my seminar. They leave and they go, what was that all about? You know? And other people go, wow, I can't wait to get started. Let's, let's go back and do this and let's start with the goals. And let's, you know, some, uh, Jim Rohn, uh, who was Tony Robbins' mentor, had a famous saying that I love. Some will, some won't, so what? You can't, you know, lead a horse to water, can't make a drink. That that type of uh, attitude. So had a great impact on me. And I know for a fact that many of my clients, if you go on my website and you read some of their success stories, and there are many on there, you'll hear a number of them talk about what we taught them in the goal setting and the part of the seminar that we start with is I always said, look, you don't have goals, you don't have a plan on achievement. All the skills in the world aren't going to mean anything. It's going to be, you know, you're like Picasso without a canvas, okay? So you have to have that base, that fundamental aspect um, in order to really 
move forward and, and make great achievements. Um, and many clients have come back over the years and said it was that segment of that seminar that made all the difference in their lives. Not learning about telemarketing, not learning how to sell, you know, not learning where to develop my leads from, but setting my goals and getting those priorities in order and make all the other things. It's very interesting how those things kind of have a way of working themselves out. And maybe this is, you know, just my experience, but I had done, if you're familiar with like the, the Jim Carrey, where he had written a, um, a check to himself and I don't recall the number, call it $10 million. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I had done that same experiment, right? It was like, I know this isn't going to work, but it, you know, and it ended up happening a year later. And then, so the there next year, I, I jokingly, well, let's see how well this works. 10 X that number. I know it's not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just a guy fixing computers at this point. Like I'm not going to be able to achieve this. And then, you know, in one year, the company at that time went from like three employees to 45 and had all these things come. And that one happened. Then the next year I tried to 50 X that number just to see what would happen and fell short. It, it didn't, it didn't work to that extreme level. I, I maybe was kind of taking it, uh, you know, just like, oh, well, you know, I wrote this check and, and it works. I did the exact same thing at the Robbins seminar in 1991. We were late in the afternoon. And we were working, you know, work closely work, and, and said to me, you know, for 18,000 people at, at the Wachovia Center, I, I want you to write down right now in the workbook how much money you're earning right at this given moment. Well, it was easy. I just lost my company. I was starting over. I didn't have an income. I had nothing. So I wrote zero. And then, and this is just like what you said, he said, if you make the changes that we've discussed thus far today in your life going forward, how much money do you think you have? And I wrote the number down. It was $300,000. And to me, that was, we're talking 1991. I've never made more than $100,000 in my life up until that point. Okay? So it was a big jump. And I was there within like two, two three years. I was making that. I've never earned less in the ensuing 30 years since I went to his seminar. Okay, and I've made considerably more many of these. So, you know, it, one of the things he talked about was belief. If you, if you don't believe, it's never going to happen. And it all starts with that. Here we are promoting Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah, <promoting> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just shoot yeah. this off then. So what? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, but I mean, it's a great resource, right? And I mean, you know, yes. both you and I are testimonials without you know, any ulterior motive other than providing value to, to those that are listening to this, that it yeah. is a very good place to, you know, check out. Cause like you said, there's a lot of resources that aren't just specific, you know, Oh, you can only view Tony Robbins. If you are a blank professional, you know, a lot of it's very big picture that can apply to a lot of people. And you had, you had talked about the, um, you know, having a plan and there's a great quote, if you fail to plan, then you should plan to fail. And exactly. I, I recognize now, I mean, the company has been around now for uh, almost nine years, eight years and going into it, I had no plan. 
and the sales showed it was, <laughs> it, you know, my goal was 300 customers and then we, we got to like 25,000 and it was like, okay, we, we've probably, you know, done something different. But at that point it was, I'll do the best job ever in the world. And everyone will just tell their friends, which wasn't really a good plan. And I'd gotten a mentor who you know, he said, let's write out a business plan. And at this point, I mean, we had probably done two, three million in sales, which is probably more than most, not probably, it is more than many IT companies do up to that point. And I was very, very fortunate. You know, I had a lot of great people helping me build it. Like my name was on the, you know, on the, the building or building, but my name was on the lease, uh, but everyone else was really contributing. I had some great people along the way, but you know, when we did the business plan and I just took an analytical look at it, it was like all these numbers that we're doing, all these things that we're doing, we have just lucked into a lot of this. And if we want this to be sustainable, we can't just be only doing, well, let's write a check for the future. And then it'll magically appear. There is a random small business thing, I think from like Amex on Twitter. And they're like, what's your goal for the end of the year? And I jokingly had put 30 employees and then we landed a gigantic uh, partner and had to grow at that point from like 15 to 30 employees, like overnight. And it was, you know, just throwing a lot of stuff out there and it just happened to happen through serendipity universe, whatever you want to call it. But then once we got a plan in place and stopped just getting lucky and fortunate, you know, one of our biggest breaks, I was going to go to a restaurant with my uh, then uh, manager and they had a two hour wait. So we just went to Dunkin' Donuts next door, All right, we're, whatever. Ran into this guy he used to work with. Hey, nice to meet you. And blah, blah, blah. Cool. Yeah, let's exchange numbers. Sure, whatever. And six months later, he uh, messaged me saying, Hey, I have this giant MA opportunity, blah, 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 blah. And I'd done the math. I was like, I want, if, if, if he says any number less than $300,000, this is a steal. So I ask him, you know, how much are you looking for this? And he, he tells me he wants 600. And I was like, ah, you know, I got to run the numbers. And he's like, and you know, we, let's just do it cash so that we don't have to you know, deal with like banks and stuff. We're going through a tough time. So just cash. And I was like, you want $600 and zero cents. And then I was like, this can't be correct. Something's, something's fishy. This, you know, this. And then I was just like, if this works the way that I plan, it will easy 1.5 million easy. If it doesn't work, I lost $600 and it won't change my life. And, you know, within three hours we paid for all of it. And I think we're still collecting residuals on that till this day from six years later. And, you know, but we had the plan in place at that time. So when the opportunity came, I saw how that fit into the big picture and what we were trying to accomplish. And it wasn't like the serendipitous moment. Had it happened when I ran into him randomly at Dunkin' Donuts, if at that moment he said, here's what it is, I, I would have taken it, had nothing to do. Oh, guy took me for 600 bucks. 
but having the plan in place, knowing what to do with it, having that the sales cycle, the lead nurture, the understanding where our clients are coming from, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Yeah, it was very, 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 you know, we're very fortunate having that plan in place really made all the difference. And I think that's a, a great place to to um, leave lead off. So Bruce, <laughs> and <laughs> where can people uh, find you find you online and learn more about uh, new clients incorporated? Yes, yeah, so our web address is uh, newclientsinc.com. Outlines of our program, both our practice sales, practice marketing, uh, a of uh, references and testimonials, uh, success stories, videos uh, of my clients going back 30 years. Uh, so there's uh, plenty of information there on my website. Fantastic. And as always, if you are curious as to the uh, cybersecurity needs of your organization, uh, feel free to reach out to us at tech4accountants.net. That is tech, the number four accountants.net. And you can get a complimentary IT audit, see if your current practices are in line with what the IRS, AICPA, FTC, and all of the compliance soup organizations are looking for. We can help you navigate that. So Bruce, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountant show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.